This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 306, submission number 201, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future aired in syndication from September 1st, 1987 to March 27th, 1988 for 22 episodes. Power on. Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Earth 2147, the legacy of the Metal Wars, when man fought machine and machines won. Biodreads, monstrous creations that hunt down human survivors and digitize them. Volcania, center of the Biodread Empire, stronghold and fortress of Lord Dread, feared ruler of this new order. But from the fires of the Metal Wars arose a new breed of warrior, born and trained to bring down Lord Dread and his Biodread Empire. They were soldiers of the future, mankind's last hope. Their leader, Captain Jonathan Pollard, master of the incredible power suits which transform each soldier into a one-man attack force. Major Matthew Hawk Masterson, fighter in the sky. Lieutenant Michael Tank Ellis, ground assault unit. Sergeant Robert Scout Baker, espionage and communications. And Corporal Jennifer Pilot Chase, tactical systems expert. Together they form the most powerful fighting force in Earth's history. Their creed to protect all life. Their promise to end Lord Dredd's rule. Their name, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. In 1987, 35 years to the day that we're releasing this, Gary Goddard and Tony Christopher of Landmark Entertainment sort of a offshoot of Mattel at the time, teamed up with a pioneering special effects master by the name of Douglas Netter. Now, if that name sounds familiar, Douglas Netter was behind many of the special effects seen on Babylon 5, and if you remember this show... Voltron the Third Dimension. Another person involved with uh, Douglas Netter at this time, a writer by the name of J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, that J. Michael Straczynski. So, these four people got together and create something that was incredibly riveting, incredibly well-written, incredibly well-produced, and slick for its time, enough that it is marketable to kids and older teens by way of licensing and toys and the like. That being said, it could not have come at a worse time. We'll get into why momentarily. But first, a brief synopsis of this TV show. Well, actually, we don't even need to get into the brief synopsis. It's right there in the opening. 
Yeah, Earth 2147, The Metal Wars. Man fought machines and lost. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, Lyman Taggart and Stuart Power were developing sort of proto-droids or bio-droids to wage war to minimize the loss of human life. Lyman Taggart was waiting for Stuart Power to get off his butt and speed up the process, which included a sort of Skynet network called Overmind. And Lyman Taggart was sort of kind of ready to get this done. So he merges with Overmind to become Lord Dread. Lord Dread has plans for humanity. Or actually, I should say, he plans on digitizing humanity into Bio-Dreads who do nothing but worship him and do his bidding. The remnants of humanity, led by Jonathan Power in a sort of exo-frame suit called a power suit, created by his father, Stuart Power, are hopelessly outmatched, but that does not stop them from traveling across North America, trying desperately to instill hope in humanity and stop the bio-dread menace once and for all. So, who do they have playing Captain Power? Well, they have a guy who is apparently too young for the Vietnam War. In the role of Captain Power, Captain Jonathan Power, Tim Dunnigan. Of course, he played Templeton Baseman Peck in the pilot of the A-Team, which he didn't joined up for the rest of the season because NBC thought he would be unbelievable as a Vietnam veteran. Because if I'm not mistaken, he was born in 55 and by the time the A-team came around, he was in his late 20s. So yeah, I totally get where they're coming from. But he also played Tommy Atwood in classic round here, Mr. Smith. That's right. He was in Mr. Smith. I think this is the longest stretch between entries for one person that's been talked about on this show. Yep. Episode two, Mr. Smith. Episode 306, this show. Captain Power. So 304 episodes in between. And his soldiers of the future, Major Matthew Hawk Masterson, played by Peter McNeil, He's the air ace of the group, uh, but Peter McNeil has been in everything from Good Witch to Paris Bulk. Of course, like this show, they were all filmed in his native Canada. Playing the muscle of the group, Michael Tank Ellis, he was built like a tank, still is, by the way. Ben Ole Thurston, who is known for playing Tigress in Gladiator in 2000, and spend in The Running Man in 1987. But yeah, he's built like a tank. Playing recon scout Robert Scout Baker, Morris Dean Wint, who comes to us from England, and was actually in such shows as Haven, 
Regenesis and actually spent a lot of time voicing dubs. He was in Saint Seiya Knights of the Zodiac and Robocop Prime Directives and Power Stone. Oh, uh, Greg, I don't know if you've ever seen Robocop Prime Directives. He played Robo Cable. Okay. Is that the animated series? No, that was the uh, miniseries that aired on Sci-Fi. Oh, okay. And the pilot of the jump ship, Jennifer Pilot Chase, is Jessica Steen, who was a co-pilot named Jennifer in another apocalyptic film, Armageddon. Oh, Armageddon. Yep. Nowadays, she could be seen on all 104 episodes of Heartland, which, if I'm not mistaken, airs on Pluto. It also airs on Up TV, which is what used to be uh, the Gospel Music Channel. Now it's just Up TV. Go back to previous entry, Meow Manor, which is, I believe, episode six. Uh-huh. We talked about that because Meow Manor was on Up TV. Yeah. But she was also in Homefront and Murder One. Rounding out the cast that appeared on all 22 episodes was David Hamblin as Dr. Lyman Taggart or Lord Dread. His face may not be familiar, but you recognize his voice. He played Magneto in X Men the Animated Series. Ah, oh, two straight shows with an X-Men the Animated Series reference. Yep. Sadly, no longer with us. He died in 2020. Oh, that's a shame. A couple recurring characters uh, we have as Sauron, Derek Hazel. Now, Derek Hazel is the voice of Sauron. Sauron is actually one of the first, if not the first, CGI characters on a TV show. Playing the voice of Overmind is Ted Dillon. Of course, Overmind would be the uh, AI that turns Dr. Taggart into Lord Dread. He is a that guy from that thing. He was last seen as Michael Ripley in 1999's Ripley's Believe It or Not. Believe it or not. And then as the role of Mentor, which is actually the digitized version of Captain Power's father, Dr. Stuart Power, Bruce Gray, who was on Traitors, which won a Gemini Award, which is like the Canadian Emmys. If I'm not mistaken, Traitors was on Trio for a while. But he would also be in shows like Medium and Falling Skies and he would also play a senior partner named Yethers on the penultimate season of How I Met Your Mother. Most notably in the episodes The Exploding Meatball Sub, Disaster Averted, Good Crazy, and The Final Page Part 2. The one where Barney proposes to Robin. But if you're a fan of Starship Troopers, take a look at Sky Marshal Deeds. Because Bruce Gray plays Sky Marshal Deeds. Sadly, also not with us. But let's go into all of these shows, because they're all very riveting stories. Perhaps 
too riveting for a childlike audience, but just riveting enough to make for decent science fiction. Episode 1. Shattered. Captain Power receives a transmission from Athena, an old flame from before the invasion. Entering the ruins of San Francisco to meet her, he finds the reunion less than friendly. Yeah, this lady was formally digitized into a biodread before she recovered, but she isn't totally recovered, so basically, they walk it into a trap. It's a trap! Yeah, it's a trap. Playing the role of Athena is Anne-Marie McDonald, who is a That Canadian Woman from That Canadian Thing. Episode 2, The Abyss. When the captain and Hawk answer a distress call, they're captured by General Briggs and his troops. The general has been driven over the edge and is still waiting for new orders from the president. So, apparently in this new world, there is still a president, but who knows what hold Lord Dread has over him. No one of any note in this episode, so we'll just keep moving. Episode 3, The Final Stand. The power team finds a marauder holding civilians hostage. Tank recognizes the man, Casco, who came from the same genetically engineered place he did. The name of the place is Babylon 5. Oh! Okay. And, of course, the person who wrote this episode, J. Michael Straczynski. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. Y'all can put two and two together. Episode 4, Pariah. Hawk rescues a young escapee from the Styx Project who is being hunted by Dred's troopers. But unknown to him, the boy is carrying a paralyzing plague. Ooh. Playing the role of said boy, named Mitch, is Gordon Michael Wolvett. A.K.A. Seamus Harper from Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Oh, wow. Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Episode 5. A Fire in the Dark. Lord Dredd seeks out Jessica Morgan, an artist and former acquaintance when he was still Lyman Taggart. He wants her to become the architect of his new machine race, but first, her sight, which she lost in an accident 15 years earlier, will have to be restored. Playing the role of Jessica Morgan is Patricia Collins, who has been in everything from the Murdoch Mysteries to Kung Fu The Legend Continues to Playdate, whatever that is. It's from the 60s. You can only take a guess. Yeah. But she's also a big CBC radio drama actress. Episode 6. The Mirror in Darkness. An imposter is posing as Captain Power and luring refugees to reveal themselves, only to be digitized by Sauron. A couple of humans manage to escape this fate, and when they meet the real Captain Power, decide to get their revenge. 
playing the role of the fake-ass Captain Power, David James Elliott. Who's that? Harm from Jag. Oh, okay. You know. I didn't watch Jag, so. Yeah, before he was in Jag, he was in this show. Okay. Episode 7. The Ferryman. During a raid on an Epsilon station, Power and his soldiers uncover information on the four phases of Project New Order. But Dread orders its container to self-destruct, taking out Mentor along the way. Meanwhile, Dread and Overmind accelerate the phase Charon, the creation of an army of new Bio-Dread. Okay, so one of the voices in this episode, the voice of Lachi, is played by Don Franks. Now, who is a very noted actor who is in everything from Heavy Metal to My Bloody Valentine to Johnny Mnemonic. But here's the thing. Do you know who Don Franks' daughter is? I'm going to take it from that awkward silence that you don't. I have no idea who that is. His daughter is Cree Summer. Cree Summer from A Different World, Freddie Brooks. Oh, okay. Episode 8, and study war no more. While investigating Dread communications in Sector 12, Power and his team find an underground sanctuary called Haven, where they are welcome to stay and live the war out in peace. Although, if you know anything about high science fiction, peace has a price, so... They try and escape as quickly as possible. Episode 9. The Intruder. Two resistance fighters, Andy Jackson and Jim Mitchell, want to join Captain Power's soldiers. Andy manages to sneak aboard the jump ship and into the power base, but the soldiers are far from pleased that their base has been compromised. Playing the role of Andy Jackson on this episode is Barry Flatman, who is best known for you fans of old school PBS as the father in the old Ramona series. Oh, the old Ramona series. Playing the role of Jim Mitchell is Ted Simonet, who is best known as the partner of Copeland in Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. And as everyone knows... Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol, is the best movie in the Police Academy franchise. We will fight people on this. Oh, that's right. The Yama Yama scene, for crying out loud. The Yama Yama scene with David Spade in the freaking car. Yama, 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 Yama. Yama, 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 Yama. Yama, 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 Yama. And then Tackleberry comes out with the chainsaw. (laughs) You can take off the mask now, Tack. (laughs) Episode 10, War Dogs. Two members of War Dogs Company shoot down Hawk, thinking he's a bio-dread. Their leader, Colonel Vi, happens to be an old acquaintance of Hawk's. The doggies have given up on fighting and are looking for the fabled Eden 2. Meanwhile... The remaining soldiers of the future find themselves trapped in a dread station while trying to find out more about Project 
new order. Now, all these people, uh, I think, uh, I want to say only two of them have done anything of any note in their career. Playing Colonel Vi is uh, Kate Slaughter, who was in Covert Affairs, four episodes of that from 2013. Okay. But if you're a fan of Sue Thomas FBI, she plays Carla Thomas. And Graham Greene, who plays Cherokee in this episode, perhaps best known as Kicking Bird in Dances with Wolves, and Arlen Bitterbuck in The Green Mile. He is all he is going to play a role in an episode of The Last of Us coming next year. Oh, the HBO Last of Us. Oh, yeah, the HBO Last of Us. Yes. Cannot wait for that. Episode 11. Flame Street. Power and his soldiers travel to Tech City to enter the cyberweb and try and gain information about Project New Order. But as soon as Power enters cyberspace, so does Lord Dread with the intention to destroy the captain's mind. This was 1987, and they're already talking about hacking each other's brains on the internet. Episode 12. Gemini and Counting. A deadly virus is sweeping the passages. Pilot proposes to infiltrate Dredd's chem factory, Med Lab 1, dressed in her old Dredd youth uniform to steal a vaccine. This is an important plot point because we revealed that before Pilot joined the Soldiers of the Future, she was a Dredd youth which is supposed to be an allegory to the Hitler youth. Now, once there, once she's in MedLab 1, she comes into contact with a young dread youth named Aaron, who reminds her of herself. She's trying to get Aaron up out the game before the game gets to her. Now, the lady who plays Aaron would actually have a very good career for herself. Aaron was played by Lori Holden, who plays Andrea on The Walking Dead. She's been on a whole lot of cult series. The Magnificent Seven, The X-Files, The Americans, The Shield, The Walking Dead, The Boys. You name a cult TV series produced in the last 10 years, more than likely she's been on it. Episode 13, And Madness Shall Reign. Colonel Cypher's resistance group has fallen victim to an insanity-inducing drug. Remember, kids, this is the late 80s. Drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. Drugs bad. Fascism bad. Superpower armored. Good. Unfortunately, Tank has also taken a sip of the contaminated water, and soon becomes convinced his teammates are bio-dreads. Uh-oh. 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 Episode 14. Judgment. Power has been injured and Pilot goes in search of help in a nearby settlement, but a young villager recognizes her as part of the dread youth that torched his hometown, and Pilot is put on trial. 
This is some serious stuff here. One of the leaders of the town, a man by the name of Arvin, is played by William B. Davis. That name doesn't sound familiar, but what if I said cigarette smoking man? Oh, from the X-Files? Oh yes, my but... god, yeah. Yep, he was the cigarette smoking man. Episode 15, A Summoning of Thunder. It is the 15th anniversary of Dr. Stuart Power's death. As Jonathan Power is lost in memories while visiting his father's grave, Overmind urges Lord Dread to take this opportunity to ambush his adversary. Yeah, this is one of those, like, it says part one, right? You know there's going to be a part two, and you know that things are not going down easy. Playing a younger Jonathan Power is Dylan Neal, and this is actually a recurring role as most of Captain Powers' flashbacks involve this guy, and he played Bob in the Fifty Shades movies. He also plays Dr. Anthony Ivo in ten episodes of Arrow. So, all you people wondering why there isn't a DC fandom this year, it ain't his fault because the series has been cancelled for like three years now. Episode 16, A Summoning of Thunder, Part 2. As Dread and Sauron close in on Jonathan Power at his father's resting place, Dread is reminded of that day 15 years ago when Stuart Power died and Lyman Taggart became Lord Dread. Lots of exposition in these two episodes. You wonder uh, why Lyman Taggart has it in for Stuart Power and by association, his son, Captain Power. And what he's willing to do to get him under his grasp. Because back in episode one, he wants Captain Power for himself. It's like, yes, the Bio-Dreads are going to digitize any humans that they find, but it seems like Lord Dread wants Captain Power for himself. Which makes sense if you're an evil-minded cyber being. Episode 17, The Eden Road. Cypher tells Captain Power that he and his team have been asked to make contact with a representative from the mythical sanctuary Eden 2 in one of the harshest places on Earth, the acid-ridden Darktown. Playing Cypher is Brent State, who is known for playing Roy in Final Destination 5, and Rev Bem in... Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Episode 18, Freedom Won. When Freedom Won, the voice of the East Coast Resistance Radio, organizes a meeting between the five most powerful resistance leaders, she contacts Power and his team to gather the leaders together. One of the leaders, Christine Larrabee, played by Gwyneth Walsh, who is known as Bator, in Star Trek Generations and Star Trek The Next Generation. So, she was revising her role for that movie, it looks like. 
Episode 19, New Order Part 1, The Sky Shall Swallow Them. New data from a Springer indicates that Phase 3 of Project New Order is about to commence. A suborbital platform codenamed Icarus will start mass digitization at 1500 hours. Howard comes up with a desperate two-part plan to attack Icarus Control, followed by Volcania itself. So yeah, we're getting close to the end, which means things are starting to ramp up, and it is time to put the hammer down on Lord Dread once and for all. Episode 20, New Order Part 2, The Land Shall Burn. The downed Icarus platform crashes into Volcania, but the Prometheus Beam, Phase 4 of Project New Order, remains active. Therefore, Power and his group infiltrates Volcania to deactivate Prometheus and face Dread himself. Episode 21, now we're into the endgame. Retribution. Dread decides to put all his power into destroying Power and his resistance group. Thanks to Blastar, he finds out Power's jump ship has teleportation capabilities, and Sauron helps him to install a tracking device with which to locate the power base. And this is probably one of the uh, most riveting episodes, or two of the most riveting episodes, because this is where everything comes to a head. There is a lot of death, as much as a biotic symbiont can die, but then there's what happens at the end. This is part two now. This is the final episode. Lord Dread is about to have his mind transferred into a new machine body, but first he delivers his final strike against Captain Power. Blastar and his troops attack the jump ship and prevent it from entering a teleportation gate by breaching it themselves. The machine forces overrun the power base, manned only by pilot, as Power and the others remain helpless on the outside. This leads Pilot to make a stunning decision, which results in her making the ultimate sacrifice. She takes out the power base, she takes out the biotreads, and she takes herself out. Wow. It was one of those things where you could definitely tell they were going somewhere with this. And one could only wonder where they were going, because the war is still going on, but now they're down one soldier. Where were they going with this? Well, that's a bit of a sticky wicket, because... Fun fact about this show, every episode that was shot was budgeted for $1 million. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, all those special effects, all those suits, and they were probably looking to cut corners as much as they could, so they basically shot all of the live-action stuff in and around a warehouse in western Toronto. But they more than made up for it with a lot of miniatures and a lot of special effects a lot of really cool-looking costumes. 
that sort of harkened back to uh, the Cylons of Battlestar Galactica and a lot of CG figures. Uh, the characters of Blastar and Sauron are all CGI composites. And for 1987 television, they were pretty decent looking. And the stories themselves, they were perhaps some of the best science fiction work of that era. Chalk that up to the story editor, who of course was J. Michael Straczynski. And he had a plan, a vision, for where this show was going in the next level. And again, Jennifer Chase was going to die because Jessica Steen wanted out of her contract. So J. Michael Straczynski relented and was like, okay, we can let you out of your contract, but here's the thing. Your exit is going to be epic. It's going to be cathartic. You are going to kill yourself and the Biodreads in the power base. J. Michael Straczynski has gone on record as saying that this was from a personal experience that he had before he wrote this episode. He said, I've known several people who've taken their own lives. I spoke to her just beforehand, tried through the phone lines to reach her one more time, pull her back from the ledge. I couldn't. Years passed. Time comes for me to write the last filmed episode of Power. Jennifer Chase is going to die, partly because of her injuries and partly of her own volition. Part of my life went into that scene in the way that it was constructed and what was said and what was not said. What never had the chance to be said and thus still burns. I knew that at the crucial moment of that scene, he couldn't be near her as I wasn't near my friends. It had to be long distance, hearing but not seeing her, and the terrible pain of arriving too late. I cannot watch that episode without crying. Ever. And this was supposed to be the jumping off point for season two, which would have featured Captain Power basically handing off leadership duties to Hawk while he goes looking for Dread to kill him his own damn self, while you have two new characters. But, as I said at the top of this podcast, this show could not have come at a worse time. Because in 1987, you have a bunch of toys that looked a lot like guns and other such weapons, and people were getting into really bad trouble because of them. And on the other side, you have a bunch of toys made for this series. And one of the toys was the power jet that interacted with the show. But Mattel pretty much stayed hands off of the narrative side. And narrative stayed hands off of what Mattel wanted to get out of the series. That changed in season two. Mattel wanted more control of the series. But then they saw that the toys weren't selling. And the ratings weren't there either. Because people were having trouble finding out where to program this show. It is a Saturday morning show to be sure. But it's 
a little too mature for a standard Saturday morning TV show. I'm now going to read a paragraph off of Truth by Consensus Wikipedia. A great majority of the show's storyline was filled with romance and intrigue, which was made for the adults who watched the show with their children. Thus, the story was filled with romantic kisses, sexual innuendo, and occasionally scenes which implied sexual encounters between characters. Mild profanity was also present. Dam was set on at least one occasion, and Pilot told Blastar to go to hell in response to his order to surrender. In addition, the violent death of one of the major ongoing characters in the series, as we talked about, was also an unusual development for a children's series. The inclusion of a Bio-Dread youth, which recruited young survivors to Lord Dread's ideals to further advance his agenda, also paralleled fascist regimes. Does this sound like a Saturday morning TV show to you? No, it does not. This sounds like, I don't know, something that you would have made a movie out of. This sounds like something you'd be jazzed to watch, but not on Saturday morning. Because, yes, it's riveting and it has a whole lot of plot development and story tie-ins. But if you're on a Saturday morning what are you doing on a Saturday morning in 1987 with a TV show? It was a 30-minute commercial for a toy. So you have all of that dark plot line, which would have made for a really good adult show. You have the fact that they're using this show to hawk a bunch of licensed stuff, including a toy line which some people actually got sort of the wrong idea that you needed the toy to watch the show or you need the show to play with the toy. Although the two sort of operate independent of each other. I mean, the toy works without the TV show. TV show works without the toy. Nobody wanted Nazism on a kid's show. And nobody wanted anybody dying on a kid's show. Suffice it to say, this was not the cash cow that anybody wanted it to be. And Mattel, who bankrolled the show, wanted to bankroll it even more, wanted to have more control over season two, but they couldn't. So they took their money and went on to the next thing. And season two was not produced, and the show was canceled. So like I said before, this show could not have come at a worse time. In fact, I have a statement here from one of the writers of the show, Larry Dottillo. We're not writing stories with the idea of turning each episode of Captain Power into a video game. Which is weird, because if you watch this show, it looks like a video game. This show has not made my life any easier. This is not just another kid's cartoon show. The writing is always to an adult level. There is interactivity, which has been centered mainly in the battle sequences, but we aren't in a position of having to write X amount of animation and interactivity to each episode. I want to make it very clear that around here, we're working for the story. People are coming in with the same old stories. I'm getting Star Trek, Star Wars, and Terminator. If I wanted another Terminator, I would call 
James Cameron. Now, a year later, Natilio talked about why the show was canceled. Mattel's tie-in toys didn't sell to expectations. Parents' groups charges the show was too violent and having to shell out Screen Actors Guild and Writers Guild residual payments because Captain Power was live action. And uh, J. Michael Straczynski added on, that's a show that's an example of what to strive for and how sometimes good intentions can get derailed. We generally wanted to come up with a long-term story, and by and large, we succeeded. The problem was the marketing in front of the show and the merchandising behind the show. We got killed from both sides. There's an entire second season of unproduced scripts in which he follows up on the arc that I and others established during the first season. You would have found out what Dread became, what happened to Power's mother, where Eden 2 was, what the secret was in Sauron's programming, and so on. And ironically enough, uh, when this show aired overseas, it wasn't pulled because of the violence. Well, it was pulled because of the violence, but it was also pulled because of the sexual innuendo. Which, and I've seen episodes on YouTube, by the way, all 22 episodes are available on YouTube if you want to watch it. Maybe it's my twisted adult mind, but... Seemed kind of tame. Just a bit, yeah. Just a bit. But yeah, like I said, all 22 episodes are on YouTube. You can watch them and see for yourself. Of course, if you want to get about episodes legally, the entire season was released on DVD, so you can pick it up on Amazon. But don't try streaming it on Prime Video, because you will get the whole not available in your country message. And if you really want to know what happens in season two, Wikipedia has all of the episodes watches. One thing I found out in researching this episode, because this is the 35th anniversary, but they were working on a reboot of this show. As far back as 2012, for the 25th anniversary, that Gary Goddard and the vestiges of Landmark Entertainment were trying to reboot Captain Power for the next generation. Called Phoenix Rising, it would use the original symbol of the power suits and it would be an hour-long weekly drama written somewhat to spec of the original series, but with uh no premise of selling anything other than the story. It would be looking at both sides of the post-apocalyptic conflict, with uh, the Metal Wars having understandably reached a settlement of some sort, but with pockets springing up around North America. But ten years later, nobody signed up for it. No, nothing. Nothing's happened. Nothing. Although... If you still talk to people in charge, they will insist that the revival is still in the works. Sure. Yeah, they actually made a trailer that aired in 2016 during San Diego Comic-Con. And that was, as of 2022, the last we've seen of Captain Power. 
Are they still making it? Or are they still developing it? Who knows? All I know is there's an official website. There's an official Facebook page. And I'll look at the Facebook page like we did last week on the Tiocho show. I can tell you right now, the show has 7,415 fans. So, slightly more than the Tiocho show. Okay, but when was the last update? October 9th, 2017. All American Licensing <laughs> sides with Goddard Film Group. The duo will launch Captain Power merchandise concurrent with the 30th anniversary debut of the iconic series. I click the link. Yeah. And I get the 404 page. Are we sure this isn't like some scam or something? Like I that, have to... <laughs> is it like that in television, Amico console? You mean the one that Tommy Tallarico was trying to sell on tour with Video Games Live but only managed to push a few CDs and some BDs that I may have bought? Well, to be fair, you did get the tickets free from Reward the Fans. So. I did. But, oh, by the way, earlier this week, I looked up on the uh, Apple iTunes store. Yeah. Reward the Fan is no more. Yeah, it's been like no more for like... Yeah, but it's yeah, but it was no more for a while. But it was always on the iTunes store. It's not there anymore. Good, because really, once they decided, yeah, let's become a shopping app because our entire business model got screwed because of COVID. Yeah, you're pretty much done. You're done, son. But yeah, that television, Miko. Holy crap! That is a, who the hell would buy that? Well, I guess it's not, since it's supposedly never coming out, I guess. I wouldn't know. I it's like I took one look at it, and I was like, what's that supposed to be? Look, Pat the NES Punk has made, like, a gazillion videos about it. You can watch them. I stopped listening to his podcast, because eventually every ring on his podcast is about the Miko and how much he hates Tommy Tommy. I'm like... Well, you know what? I hate him too, but it's like, I don't give a shit. Right? I, like, there are plenty of people I hate, and I'm like, I don't freaking devote my day talking about how much I hate, like, Manish Meta. But, yeah, it seems like every sort of thing that was in this entire franchise, it sort of went to 2017 and was stopped. I mean, I saw an AV Club article with uh, Gary Goddard, who, by the way, was working with Mattel with uh, Masters of the Universe and directing the movie for it, which is how they got Mattel into Captain Power. He says, we got this meeting. We said, we think we have the next great thing. And they sold the show around a bunch of special effects and this new CGI technology that would put CGI creatures into a live-action TV show. I mean, nowadays it's commonplace. You can't throw a rock without hitting a TV show with the CGI. But in 1987, that was... I mean, people were convinced that was the next big thing. But nowadays you have uh, your Star Trek Voyager, your uh, Babylon 5... I don't know if the strange new world model that they use is CGI or if it's a practical model. 
It might be a mixture of both. Who knows? Yeah, Gary Goddard was selling on interactivity with the toys, CGI, special effects. It seems like the story was secondary. I mean, I want to believe in my heart of hearts that everybody involved with this show was taking it seriously. But then I remembered, oh yeah, Gary Goddard was in with Mattel at the time. And Mattel wanted a bigger piece of the pie, so it was hard to take it seriously when you're trying to make bank off of the back ends with the toys. Duh. But yeah, uh, it seems like everything from 2017 onward was, uh, I don't know, echoes and silence and wind and ghosts. I have to wonder if the trademark for Captain Power is even still claimed. Uh, this is from USPTO.gov, the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Sorry, no results found for Captain Power. Oh. So it would appear that at least the eyes of the U.S. government that the trademark for Captain Power has since been abandoned. Well, you know what? We can buy that trademark. Oh, no. I've seen what happens when we did experiments on this show, and those were the most amazing five minutes of my life. But that tweet is going to be on my Twitter timeline forever. Yes, of course, I'm referring to the time... When Mike changed his <laughs> handle to the T.O. Joe show. That is the second time we've referenced the T.O. Joe show on this episode. Uh, how great was it when we talked about the uh, the general insurance commercial last week with the penguin? Still don't know what a penguin is doing in Ohio, but whatever. What can we say about this show? It had all of the potential in the world. It had a lot of backing, a lot of good stories, and it was really much ahead of its time, if you ask me. But, if you also ask me, it may have been ahead of its time, but it could not have come at a worse possible time. And ultimately, it became just a thing on TV. Yeah. And video, because and vi they did release the video. Yes, they did. Yeah, Mattel released that video along with the toys. Yep. But again, you don't need the toys to watch the show. And you don't need the show to play with the toys. You know what? I would have rather played that Mattel Wheel of Fortune VHS toy. Which I actually had as a kid, by the way. The Wheel of Fortune VCR toy. Yeah, the Wheel... Wait, there was a Wheel of Fortune VCR toy? Do tell. You didn't see it on the Oddity Archive? Uh, the only thing I remember was, like, that sort of electronic Wheel of Fortune with the keyboards and... Yeah, like, that's the one! Oh, that was the one! Okay. Yeah, you had two VHS tapes. You'd play it, you'd use the toy to, like, sync it with the TV... And you'd get the puzzle. And also, I didn't even realize this, but you could play along with the actual show, apparently. Like, on the nighttime version, because Ben actually shows this on the Oddity Archive. Because he has, like, an off-air recording of, like, an episode from 89. 
he actually played along with that episode, didn't he? Yes. And I believe from what I'm told, like, if you have, like, a recording from, like, around that period, from, like, 88 to 90 that aired on GSN, that actually does work along with the episode, too, if you have the toy. So if you have, like, an off-air recording from GSN from 88 to 90, which, I don't know, maybe one of our audience members does. We certainly have some people who might have some, like, analog recordings of Real Fortune episodes. You could play along with it with the, the Tell Toy. Or hell, why don't you just uh, go on YouTube and search Wheel of Fortune 87 to 88, play with that. Well, well no, it doesn't, because it only works on a CRT. It only works with a CRT? Okay. It, you have to work it on a CRT. It does not work on an HD TV. I wonder if you could, like, take the digital recording, transfer it to a VHS tape, put it onto a TV hooked up to a VCR, and play the episode if you still get that. Or... Maybe it loses something if it becomes digital. I don't know. That is a very good question, and I wish I had the equipment to test it. Maybe we should ask Ben. Hey, Ben, can you, like, take your copy of that Wheel of Fortune episode, put it, like, on a digital source, then convert it back to a VHS tape, and then try it to see if that works? I don't know. But let's get back on topic. The Captain Power toy, not good at all. No, it was. I mean, it's good if you're really into collecting really old, really rare things like we are. But at the time, it was just on a shelf collecting dust, basically. Of course, nowadays, uh, if you're looking for the DVD, because remember I said that this show was released on DVD, but it's so rare, and it's been out of print for so long, that it fetches a pretty penny on the secondary market. My advice to you is, just watch it on YouTube. And I believe that's all the futuristic cyberpunk fascism... That I can handle. Yeah. So in the end, in 1987 and 1988, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future just became another thing on TV. But you can listen to all 305 episodes that came before this one on our website. It was a thing on TV.com. Find all of our mini-sodes, live watches social feeds. Remember, we're on all of the socials at It Was A Thing On TV, except for Facebook, which apparently is taken over by Lord Dread. So you will have to key in It Was A Thing On TV podcast to find us there. And don't forget, on YouTube, we have most of our episodes, the ones that haven't been struck down, NBC. Remember to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. It's a trap! To stay up to date on any future topics, including what we have next week. And we have a fully booked next week. Next week, we have uh, Tom Poston. What? I'm on the schedule next week, guys? Yeah, Tom, you're on the schedule. Oh, I'm on the schedule. Oh, no. And we have Dick Martin. Yeah. Say good night, Dick. Good night, Dick. Yeah. 
next week we get to talk about what is undoubtedly the worst Goodson Todman game show ever. Now that's something considering there's not really a lot of Goodson Todman game shows that you can say stink. No, most of the Goodson Todman library winners. Password, Price is Right, Super Password, Password Plus, Blockbusters, Family Feud, The Better Sex. Yes, said it. But there was one stinker in the crowd, and we're going to talk about it. And, of course, we're going to talk about Tom Poston, and also Funny Funny Cars cars at Worcester Coliseum. What the hell is that? Funny Cars at Worcester Coliseum. What the hell, man? You're going to find that out next week. You're going to learn the secrets of the Funny Cars. And you're going to find out that Funny Cars apparently have a secret society. And you're going to find out more about that next week. But also, Chico, next week, we're going to go back and we're going to be searching for something. I was searching for my lost sock from this morning. I found it right before we went to air. No, I'm not talking about that search. I'm talking about we're going to be searching for a certain somebody from the planet Vulcan. Oh... But he's dead. I know, but apparently I was told he's not dead. Are we going to go back? Do we have to go back to the Genesis planet? Yeah, which, of course, as we all know, as they called in Europe, the Mega Drive planet. But Chico, let's hope we don't run into Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, that would be bad. And also John Larroquette for some reason. That would just be weird. Especially given what John Larroquette's going to be doing in a couple of years after that. Oh, yeah. But all of that will come next week right here on It Was a Thing on TV. Thank you so much for listening. Please be kind to each other. And we will see you for the next one. Row! Power on with Pepsi. Now Pepsi is offering you a chance to win an interactive PowerJet XT7 from Mattel for your children. Then they can join me, Captain Power, and the soldiers of the future. Just look for this Power On with Pepsi display. Collect the letters to spell power found under specially marked caps of Pepsi-Cola products, and you win a PowerJet XT7. So remember, Power On with Pepsi and win a PowerJet XT7. Then the whole family can enlist with me, Captain Power and the soldiers of the future.